Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy Fitzell, alongside Steve Smith. Welcome to episode 19. And in this episode, we're talking all about the backhand ground stroke. Backhands. Amazing. Where to start? Yeah. The late, great Vic Braden. I heard someone ask Vic one time, why do you say backhands? Yeah. Thought about that a lot today. Backhands. Backhand. Brad Gilbert. He's one of my favorite TV commentators, TV personalities. He will say backhands down the line. Mm-hmm. And Vic's answer was when he ran the pro tour for Jack Kramer, he spent a lot of time with Australians. My take on that is Vic was very, very shy. And it was like a stage voice. Yeah. For, and and, and what, a, what, a, what a comedian. For backhands down the, the line. Button. Yeah. He just used to say, you know, it's easier than saying backhand. <laughs> yeah. Backhand. Backhands. I've got some notes here. I tell people that I've learned more on how not to teach tennis right. than how to teach tennis. Yeah. Used to be everyone had a one-handed backhand. There were certainly some exceptions. But in 1952, James Scott Connors. Mm. 1954, Chris Everett. It's her birthday today, I believe. Happy birthday, Chrissy, 66. Christine Marie Everett. Not when you're listening to this, but. 1954, then Borg in 50, 56. So now it's just the opposite. It used to be every once in a while you'd see a two-hander on the backhand side. Yeah. Backhand side. <laughs> but when the day when people hit one-handed backhands, thumb to thigh to the sky. I like that one. Of course, it was a horizontal swing. <laughs> you know? No one knew if, about 19.1 or 19.6 degrees then. Yes, the dimensions of the court. Here's one for the Texas backhand. Out west, the Cowboys. Pull the gun out of the holster and shoot the man on the balcony. I like that one. The British. Pull the sword out of the sheath and say, touche. Touche. And this is really reaching, you know. Dealing cards. You should go with hmm. not the... Or party in the back party in. Yeah, just throwing frisbees. Yep. Um, I think throwing frisbees actually is a good drill if you stop the third link, if you stop the upper body. But I see people throw the frisbee, it's kind of like Tron. You know, they're just letting the body spin like a discus so they don't transfer the energy. Yeah, but you spend a lot of time in Southern California, those frisbee guys out on the beach. You know, oh, yeah, man. With uh, Huntington Beach. HB. But the evolution of the two-hander, it's here to stay. Uh, there was a time in tennis where backhands were better than forehands. One of the things about the modern game is the grip. Mm-hmm. Years ago on the bad grass, three of the four grand slams, wooden rackets, everyone was going to the net, yeah. and people had continental grips on the forehand side. Yeah. It just made sense, one grip. Yeah. Just you roll that baby. You look at the run up at Wimbledon. You, the grass used to wear out. You know, one, two, three, approximately split step. Mm-hmm. Now the grass is not wearing out not in that so area. Much. Yeah, not so much. The equipment's been a factor, but it's just forehands, forehands today, forehands. Yeah. Um, with uh, we teach all our players to play with their opposite hand. They should be able to play if they're righty. They should be able to play lefty and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Teach all our players to teach. You know, you think about a two-handed backhand. Really young players, I think of uh, 
Dr. Alex Mayer teach all young kids hit two hands on both sides. So not only a, a two hand vacuum, but teach young kids a two hand and forehand. Yeah, keep a short, compact swing. Yeah, then young players when they hit a two hand and forehand, they have a better chance of having more of a conventional grip. Keep the racket; they have the strength to keep the racket higher, longer. Yeah, uh, yeah and you said that um, body and racket working together, right? In sync with. Uh, Let's go with grip, swing, body. What do you got? I was going to just ask quickly. You did you ever consider a one when you first started, or did you have a one? I thought you were a two hander, right? I had no backhand. Yeah, no, actually, well, uh, yeah, that was, for sure. When but. I played tennis, um, it's interesting knowing nothing about it and actually taking lessons. How I started getting so interested in trying to help tennis teaching and studying other tennis teachers was through hockey. I've mentioned my, my family, my brother uh, made a career out of studying hockey systems. Yeah. But with ice hockey, I started just trying to hit a, hit a backhand two handed and all of a sudden I could hit a backhand. So I, I was told it was one grip. So on the forehand side, it had a continental grip. So that's like, yeah. uh Oh, death. That's like a wave coming off the ocean with a turn. Mm-hmm. But, um, when you play hockey, your top hand is a continental and your bottom hand is an Eastern. Yeah. So it's just. You had it. Well, yeah. Then you, you, you do everything on that one side. Um, Bjorn Borg, um, you should say something about when he, pra- he, he practiced with the Canadians and they, they found out he could shoot the puck. Yeah. Um, so, um, no, that, that was how I started hitting two in the backhand. It makes me think of, uh, not to digress, but a, you have a better chance to learn how to one hit a one-handed backhand volley mm-hmm. by hitting two-handed backhand volley. Yeah. There's a young guy I trained. He won a, a level two, 12 national title. Ended up playing Division three college tennis. Then I was at a famous academy, and he was on the center court. I was there with... Uh, with three Japanese players. And we were there formally. We were paying the, the Academy a fee to observe their program for three mm-hmm. days. And, you know, he was out on the, this young player's out on the center court and they were just teaching him to knife the backhand volley. Yeah. But the, coming back to that, uh, when you say if somebody's being taught a two-handed backhand volley, they should be taught right away to practice a one-handed backhand volley. The same logic, if someone has a two-handed backhand, they have to be able to hit a one-handed backhand. I know we're going to have a separate podcast for the one-handed underspin backhand. Yeah. But every day, even for a few minutes, we have a couple of coaches visiting here from Seattle. And I was asked, the pie graph, how do you, how do, you do all, all of this, all these different drills? And mm-hmm. it varies, but ideally you want to start with technique, end with technique. You know, even if it's just you know, 10% in the beginning, 10% at the end. Yeah. And so we have people drop hit balls. A lot of times they have them do it left-handed because then they just are really spinning the wheels. And it's been proven if you practice on the left side, if you're a um, right-handed player and vice versa, it will help your um, right-handed backhand if you're drop hitting left-handed backhands. Yeah, you got to really process the information. Yeah, so we teach people to uh, drop hit underspin backhands, really little kids from the very, very beginning. Yeah. With... Um, the grips, the swings, the body positions. That I can remember working with with Welby 
I know we're going to talk about the eight pillars from our course, Tennis Intelligence Applied. Mm-hmm. Now, in Welby's era, everybody was playing one-handed for the most part. Right. But you just take this, the balance, the body balance for the forehand side and, and the three-eighth system balance, turn, the checkpoints are the same. Because when you're hitting a two-handed backhand, you're hitting, um, as a righty, it'd be a left-handed forehand. Yeah, or two-handed, left-handed forehand. In 2003... Craig Tiley, he spent uh, seven years with us. And, you know, he certainly, just like everyone, became very close with Vic, Uncle Vic. But, but when he went to Illinois, if Vic Braden walked in the room, Vic wouldn't have known who he was. Mm. Uh, they, they had certainly met, but um, I've had a lot of people that have gone and done a short clinic, traveling clinic with Vic. Yeah. But um, Chris Martin... Brother David Martin played at Stanford, but Chris Martin, he won the the last match out for them to win the NCAs. He had a two-handed vacuum, but the, at that time, I have to stop and think for a minute, uh, Amir Delic, Phil Stolt, uh, Michael Calkins, Brian Wilson, Rather DeHart, who grew up in our program, when he was a freshman, he won 30 matches, but he, he, he didn't play, I think, the quarters, the semis, and the finals of the NCAs. He was number seven mm. and, but they, you know, all but Chris Martin's out of the six out of the seven players had one hand of backhands. Mm. Um, you know, that was just in 2003. Yeah. Um, with the grip on the backhand side, we talk about Vic Braden, Vic Braden, the resource and Vic Braden, the man, mm-hmm. when he had his TV show, tennis for the future. It was the same name as his book, his first book in 77. You know, he would just simply say to the, his audience, backhand is one, serve is two, and the forehand is three. Just right. number, numbering the panels, right hand or to the right, lefties to left is one, two, three. Yeah. But if it's in his book as well that the backhand is on the right side of number one for a right-hander. Yeah, that knuckle rides that, that right side. Yeah, the ridge. And with... Uh, a Bradenism. There's no such thing as a perfect grip, just a grip with the least amount of adjustment. Now, many of my the students I've taught to teach tennis, they taught the grip too far over on the backhand side. Yeah. Because they weren't getting their players to turn enough. And if you get the racket on the inside, it helps close the racket face, get your arm close to your body. And if you get the racket low. Right. And so, so many of the tips apply to um, the one-handed backhand and the two-handed backhand. There's more similarities than there are differences. I think so many, you know, the grips, again, if you just go, okay, developmentally, you know, one right side of one, because so many different grips exist out there at, at the top of the game. You know, when you see pros with hammer grips or fister grips, sometimes they'll say a Harley grip, a motorcycle grip, you know, they're letting the heel pad maybe hang way off of it. Some go over to more extremes, like a Justine Ennin, where she's a little more vertically challenged, so... She used a grip that was a little more extreme to help her with high balls. And then her body falls back a little bit more. But so there's the whole spectrum as far as grips go. But when we're talking developmentally, that's where I get, if you get on that right side of one, you kind of ensure that people don't get too extreme and then have to make other adjustments with their swing because of their grip or their body. We know that two-handed players, um, through research, I purchased the expansion of the muscles, say for writing the left forearm, 
Yeah. It's just the fact that you really are left-hand dominant. But yeah, we teach kids the right side of one, even though we know they evolved to a continental. And you have much more flexibility in your wrist when you have a continental versus an eastern backhand. But by teaching young players in the beginning with the right side of one, the racket face is going to be closed more than versus a continental. And, you know, if they don't change the grip, they have to change the wrist. And you see too many young players, especially um, on the two-handed side, because they cheat by collapsing the wrist. Yeah. Bodies up, say, well, I won't bend, I won't sit in the chair, I'll yeah. just drop the racket below my wrist. And it puts the wrist in a vulnerable position, too, the more eastern you go. And then, you know, when it's an inexact science, it's, you know, you, you got to evaluate everyone as an individual. But you don't say that we're become so freelance that anything goes. Mm-hmm. When people drop the racket head below the wrist, they actually get the racket further below the ball. And they, you know, again, you have to go through each individual. But if you, they do it, generally, they're further away from their body. Right. But it's like Agassiz said, you know, he was watching young Andy Roddick and he's in the booth. And I wish Agassiz was in the booth, television mm-hmm. booth. He says so many great things, but he said he would die for Roddick's serve. But they asked about his forehand. He said, well, it's too complicated how he gets the racket in the pocket. And then he said, all great backhands, you keep the racket head above the wrist. And then they're watching Roddick and is the color person, the person working with him. So uh, you have the, I guess in that sense, um, the other commentator, two in the booth, the other one would be labeled the play-by-play. And then on, Andre would have been the color person adding color to the story. And um, about Roddick's racket head being below the wrist, um, he said, well, what do you think of his backhand? He goes, the horse has been out of the barn for a long time. He <laughs> yeah. said, would you change yeah, it? Yeah, I would change it. But we mentioned that on a previous podcast where Roddick, who said he's, because I don't think I've ever hit top spin on the backhand true topspin, where he said he felt so comfortable being introduced in the Tennis Hall of Fame because I have a crappy backhand, but sitting right behind me is Jim Curry yeah. had a crappy backhand. Exactly. And Jim, you know, he had, um, talking about grips, his left hand, is it was extreme. And because of that one flaw, there's a counter flaw, and he had to pull the racket back into his body. Yeah. And his right hand was not extreme, but he was pretty far over on his, on his yeah. right hand. Yeah, they well. call it baseball swing. He was yeah. a baseball player. With his company, um, calls it Inside Out. That's another thing with our explanation of backhand. You hit topspin, you have to swing inside out. That's swinging from close to away from your body. But commentators and coaches, the the talk of inside, inside, outside, inside, all those inside, inside, yeah. outside, inside, keep going and going. That That's related to tactics. And, yeah. Okay. And, and that can make sense, but it, it gets a little bit confusing when you hear about directionals. It. Yeah, an inside-out backhand, inside-out forehand. You just you got to swing from the close to away from your body. Yeah, going back to Roddick's backhand too, and and he was what we would call a little bit of a reset. So he, he started low, and then went up high a little bit, and then back down again. Not not too high at all. He didn't really have much loop at all. But, that hurt. That hurt Borg. Yeah, Borg took the racket low on the backhand, brought it back up like a rocking chair. So we used to call it the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian forehand, the Hawaiian backhand, a low high. So you take it low, <laughs> high, low, high. You have to take it low twice. But because that Borg, he stood further behind the baseline to return serve, and then McEnroe came along, who, you know, as a lefty, you know, where he could pull that ball, pressure it, 
in the in the ad side. You see that, serve. yeah, you see that quite a bit. I mean, I think of players like Leighton Hewitt, Saffin had a little bit of reset, and today, you know, um, someone was asking about uh, Medvedev, you know, his backhand as well, a little bit of a reset, and he has to hang back a lot of times behind the baseline. Yeah, you mentioned Justine Henry with a grip being extreme. Elliot Telshire is the same where – you know, people can make counter adjustments. So just because, wow, this is typically what someone does where they have the grip aligned such and such way that they pull the racket in, mm-hmm. but they both threw their hips back. Yeah, exactly. And they and it, that that helped them. They weren't really known for looping the backhand. They just they just drove it. Mm. Uh, not that they couldn't adjust and, and and such, but yeah. Um, but starting the racket up high, you you know, you want to start with. Ideally, for efficiency, two eastern grips, grip on three, grip on three, numbering the bevels. And the left hand's constant. For a right-handed player, you just turn, leave the left hand alone. The left elbow is raised around a one-hander. The left elbow is high because mm-hmm. you, you want to keep your left palm entirely on the racket. So you do three things simultaneously. You turn, you change your grip, and you straighten your arm. Yeah. And just like the forehand side where the left, you know, the offed hand, we'll say the non-dominant hand, will stay on the throat of the racket to help turn the shoulders. The same thing is true for the one-handed backhand with, if you're a right-handed player, the left hand cradling the throat of the racket helps, you know, the shoulders turn together. So there's not just an isolated arm move, which a lot of people will do, bending the elbow or laying the wrist back. So grip swing, the body, when you are going to hit a one-hander. You have to get more than sideways to stay sideways. You right. really have to turn. When you're going to hit a one-hander, Vic, you always say this, you can't cheat. You can't drop the racket hit below the wrist like you can on a, a two-hander. With, if you track out towards your target, your belly button's going to be the side fence. You stay 90 degrees. Or on a two-hander, you turn in initially at the impact point at a 45-degree angle. Yeah. Where you're aim, you're aligned to the net post, but then as you hit your tuna backhand after impact, you release the hips, and then the body faces forward. Yeah, so important to stop the upper upper body, the kinetic chain, and let the racket fire 1.5 times faster. When you do that, the two-handed backhand is going to uncoil a little bit more. I know we're going to get to contact point of contact really the differences between the two-hander and the one-hander so that's one of them with the body rotating a little bit more but then the contact point further out in front with the one-handed backhand 12 to 18 inches in front of the body or the stepping foot whereas the two-handed backhand will be about even that's where the racket gets vertical so you got to make sure you're early and getting things out in front with the one-hander because the shoulder's closer to the net i think when you talk about driving the ball uh granted when you hit one-handed in emerging situation. Two-handers have to hit one-handed in emerging situation. Yeah. But why don't you talk a little bit more about the reach? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far you know, and this, again, comes from big brains research, but, you know, if you had to run forward, let's say, for example, and reach for something with one hand, yeah, if you had to do it with two hand, you're going to get half the distance. But really, in, in what he found was that the radius was slightly larger on a two-handed back end than it was on a one-handed backhand just for normal shots. And if you're home, you can do that and make a swing and you can just measure the distance from the tip of the racket to your body with a one-handed backhand and do the same thing with a two-handed backhand and you'll see that it's a little bit longer on the two-handed backhand. So 
Yeah, so that's a little bit of a myth there, just depending on the situation. You know, defensive situations, obviously a one-handed back in reaching out wide or in front of them would have an advantage over a two-hander, but not in just normal shots. Interesting, with teaching ground strokes, because players don't lift enough. To be creative, you actually could teach, say, on the forehand side, you do the same thing, but teach a one-handed or two-handed backhand lob with underspin. Open the racket face and really, really lift. Yeah. And then what you need to do is learn to close the racket face and have that same lift. Yeah. Because if, if the more you swing up, the more the ball spins down. Yeah. And the top spins a downward motion. And you got to create the upward motion with the body and racket. Yeah, the two, you know, the reference points on the forehand, we use the palm, especially if you're on an Eastern grip. The palm is lined with the strings. And so on the backhand side, we use the knuckles as a guide. So your knuckles... You can think of the knuckles pointing down. It's not like it's going to be turned down that much, but generally speaking, the knuckles tilted down, and then you can use the ring finger as a guide as far as going forward out through the shot. Just have your ring finger track out to the target versus your palm on the forehand. Yeah, with, the, with the right, the base knuckle on the right side of number one, when you put your contact point out, it's the ring finger that's lined up right to the net. Yeah, exactly. So ring finger out to the target. With, I heard you say one time recently where, um, one reason that people want to hit forehands, and there's so many, I mean, the shoulder housing, hit trails, you play the ball a little bit later. Yeah. You can come down to um, right eye, left eye dominant, but also to um, people do what people do. So they, they hit, you hit 10 balls down the middle and just chart. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a safe bet that people are going to hit seven forehands. Yeah. And you're a little bit lazy with their feet. You go, I'll just play the ball on this side. Yeah. With, um, but the backhand, uh, it's not out the, the the one hander is certainly not not obsolete with um oh my gosh not at all um you think of Federer and Warinka even Federer as he said if he had someone asked if he had three wishes what would they be and yeah it's pretty clever how he answered he said I'd save the third wish but he said one uh that Nadal became a soccer player yeah his kryptonite yeah. and then two if he could hit the backhand like like Warinka yeah. Why don't you comment a little bit on the difference between their two backhands? I get asked that a lot. And really with Wawrinka, it keeps the racket face closed better on the backswing. Left double raise, but if you get a severe bend in your elbow, the racket's going to have the tendency to tilt up. To The strings will point up towards the ceiling. So, you know, Feder, when the racket falls, and he's got a little bit of a rolling motion to get the racket face closed. So he's got a little bit of play. But then what I think, really, if those two players, if their backhands could have a child, it would be the perfect backhand because Federer does a great job staying sideways longer. You know, I feel like he tracks out longer and higher, whereas I think Stan opens up a little bit earlier. Yeah, so no, for sure. Right? On there. So if you could get combine those two things, it'd be unbreakable. Yeah. Oh, that's... Uh, Better so uh, supplements upper body. Yeah. That's one thing about recommending players. I know we're going to get into that, but recommending players to play one-handed. Um, to hit a two-handed backhand, you have to be more supplement upper body. There's been a lot of big players. I go back to, I think of uh, Todd Martin or David Wheaton, two very, very good American players. Mm -hmm. uh, even currently, like John Isner, if you turn the clock back, go, <laughs> this is a player that should be taught a one-handed backhand. Yeah. Very... 
versatile going forward. And, you know, he's a giraffe up in the net with his wingspan is as big yeah. as the net. Yeah. You know, 36 feet. No, exactly. With, with, uh, Fetter, um, I was told by someone who knows his agent, Tony Gotzik, that this was in 2017 that he wanted Federer to use analytics. Yeah. Federer said, too expensive. <laughs> yeah. And then Guy, Gotzik said, well, I don't know if it's 700, 800 million dollars, whatever. He goes, you got a few million, but uh, if you won't pay for it, I will. Yeah. And then his next thought was, well, I don't want all those numbers in my head. But in the end, he used tennis analytics. And you just think about Feder running around his backhand. I know we're going to get into underspin backhand in a different episode, but yeah. he'd run around his backhand to hit a forehand in the Dadal's forehand. Yeah. And then Djokovic came along, and what a great backhand. Yeah. Um, but his father, you know, he said, when he played such great tennis to win the 2017 Australian, he goes, I should have always done what my father told me, quit being chicken, just hit it. Yeah. And that's one of the best lessons somebody can have. You go through the technique, through the technique, just, just hit, hit it. it. Make a big mistake. You have a better chance of having the racket face be correct by swinging fast and swinging slow. Yeah. The one ball blast is better than the forever push. Right. I think, too, with running around the forehand, obviously people do that, you know, to hit offensively, but from the wrong position a lot of times. But if you can improve your backhand, then you can conserve energy. You know, and just, okay, I don't have to go through all that work until I get the right ball. So many players, their first inclination now is the ball comes to them and they want to hit a forehand. And you, we, we work on film all the time. You just see a kid, he's starting to turn for a forehand. Well, yeah. well not yeah, on this one. Yeah, exactly. So then they're late yeah. and then they pull outside in. Or get to, so you got to love to hit the ball on both sides. Yeah. We're telling kids in their formative years, especially red zone, when you're in the defense or neutral area of the red zone, don't run around your backhand until you're well inside the court. And you can spread the court. The, the, the one thing, too, is that I say today, clones not by clowns. Everybody's playing the same. You know, do you play approach shots? Do you ever come to the net? Have you ever hit a volley? Yeah. Some kids are playing futures. They don't even warm up at the net. Yeah, it's one-dimensional. And then also, if they do warm up, if you want to scout a player and see how they volley, we always say you better be there for the warm-up yeah. <laughs> because you're not going to see them hit volleys. Yep. Uh, what do you think about footwork, dexterity of your feet, um, as far as what's, say, a kid's a little bit uh, slower, off the mark, should they play one-handed or two-handed? Yeah, well, we can get into, you know, last week we talked about brain typing, and we got into motor skills, as far as people being fine motor skilled or gross motor skilled. So what you see on the in the women's game, especially on the WTA, I should say, that a lot of the champions these days are really great ground stroke players. So they hit big off the ground. And, and when we look at the brain types, the, the ESFP or SF brain types are gross motor skilled. And so they're really good at using the large muscle groups. And that fits perfectly for a two-handed backhand where, you know, you really coil and uncoil the body. But to do that, it's just like if you think you were going to throw a really heavy medicine ball you want to get both feet set so you can use a ground reaction force and, and unwind the, the body using the large muscle groups. Tough to do that when you're on the run. So for two-handed backhand players, it's important to really get your feet set. Try to get both feet set. So 
on the flip side, to beat a one, a two-handed backhand play, you really want to try to get them to pass you or put them under pressure on the run. So if you can get a two-handed backhand player running and trying to pass you, that's difficult, more difficult for them because they can't set their feet. So so important to get great footwork, get the feet set so you can unwind the body from the ground up. Whereas one-handers, you know, the footwork, it's I'm not saying it's not important, but there's a little bit more flexibility there where they can hit, move through and hit shots on the run a little bit easier, which is why you see a lot of the one-handed backhand players be more all-court players. When Rod Laver first watched Bjorn Borg, he was asked, what do you think? He said, he's going to be great. He's got happy feet. Hmm. Now, Borg used to hit endless hours against the backboard. Yeah. And he you know, eventually beat Laver on the tour, And but he had played him so many times against the, against the backboard. It's like Muhammad Ali. The match begins long before you get in the ring. Yeah. The other and thing I would say, sorry. You go ahead. I was the, the other thing I just thought quickly with footwork with the back. And the other thing is closed back in. So a closed stance, you know, where a one-handed player, two-handed players hit closed stance as well, but to really unwind, uncoil the hips of the body is tougher to do with a closed stance, obviously on a forehand, same thing. Um, whereas a one-handed backhand player, because you're not unwinding the hips so much, you you can get away with the closed stance a little bit more. Yeah, Dennis Vanderman used to say the hips are passive on a one-hander. The hips are active on a two-hander. So if someone does take that diagonal step, we yeah. tell people uh, it's a little more difficult to convey this message now because kids in the U.S., they don't know baseball. They don't play baseball. They don't watch baseball. It used to be a... Even if you didn't like baseball, you knew baseball in America. Yeah, we had, we had so one of the kids that you asked tonight, he goes, what does a three and two or two and three or three and two count mean in baseball? So. Yeah, to go through uh, language, um, <laughs> it's a, it's the bottom of the fifth. There's two on. Yeah. You know, there's two two outs. It counts three and two. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? But I, I, I we were talking about that, not to digress, but yeah. we're, we're do tennis players really know their score. Um, know their mat, know their sport. Uh, when your tennis, tennis scoring system is confusing, so how many games did you win at Love? How many games did you win from 15, from 30? How many break points were there? You know, you could play a really good match, get beat, you know, a bagel and a breadstick, but you had, you had a lot of break points. You don't want to be one of the kids or the parents who go, yeah, every game went to Deuce. But, you know, sometimes that Love and one beating, you know, it, the match went almost two hours, yeah. but if it went 45 minutes, so that's another way to um, chart a match. Yeah. With um, But for me, though, the, the one-hander, um, and we certainly could talk about, you know, approach shots, two-handed approach shots. Um, you know, you're going to come in, it, you know, play, we call it tabletop, linear patterns, like a volley with an added follow-through. You play a topspin approach shot. The one-handed underspin approach shot will cover with underspin. I think of Vlander. He had such a great game from a technical standpoint. You know, people used to say that it, you know he had great legs, but he could run all day. But he had a very good mind. It wasn't like he had really any weapons, but he was just clean on every side. Yeah. So if, oh, if, if, if we don't really recommend juniors to. Look at YouTube clips of pros for information. It's more inspiration, but that'd be a player. To, this guy hit the ball really, really well. Yeah. Um, with Nikki Pilich, um, 
coming back to Novak Djokovic, I recently heard on a podcast, Nikki Pilich, his players, he trained. He trained a lot of really good tennis players at his academy in Munich that you didn't drink water, you didn't sit down, <laughs> you didn't talk. Um, but he used to have um, Novak hit a one-handed backhand, hit a left-handed forehand, hit a two-handed backhand. Yeah. You know, a ball machine or a feeder. He hit a one-handed backhand, left-handed forehand, then a then a two-handed backhand. Yeah, we do that drill often and out here with the kids. Um, what a great backhand he has. Yeah. You know, if you were to compare, um, there's so many similarities. And you think about great returners like a two-hander Jimmy Connors. You know, you go back, before Connors, people would, I think, say that Jan Kodish on the men's side, Czechoslovakian, mm-hmm. had such a great return. Close to the baseline, short, compact swings. But Connors, then Agassi and, and Djokovic were great returners. But with uh, Brad Gilbert, Agassi's <laughs> backhand is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Now, for, for Agassi, you know, he added a segment on his forehand and tried to end the point so many times from inside the baseline. And he was asked by Braden, you know, why don't you go to the net more? And his yeah. question was, have you seen me volley? Yeah. But um, Agassi's backhand um, is be best to hit the ball like that on both sides, get the short ball, make the approach shot, and go to the net and do the math. Yeah. And, um, but again, that's something else to get into stats. It, I, people at the highest levels, they don't understand Bill Jacobs and his aggressive fair margin. Two out of three, turns in four out of six, eight out of 12. Right. The goal in the rally, wait for the person to miss, hit short, change the direction of the ball. With a one-hander, two-hander, you got to be able to play defense. The two-handed player, definitely, you, you touched upon that. They've got to be able to, um, when they reach, um, be able to hit even the float slice back, the emergency shot, get the ball back. Yeah. So the, the two-handers, um, it's amazing. That so few of them actually practice hitting one-handed. Yeah. But typically when they play, it's not like they're going to hit uh, topspin as a two-hander and topspin as a one-hander. So when they're forced, they're hit with that, just, just the right hand on the racket, they hit underspin. Yeah. Well, Slice. the other thing, too, is that, you know, open stance, more and more players do that when they get in defensive situations. So they, they'll go with the open stance you know, where they're hitting a more of a float slice. I, mean, I think in Nadal, you know, <laughs> he does pretty well considering he's, he's basically on an Eastern forehand grip. He's hacking down on that baby. Yeah, um, but he's from a different planet. Well, that's what I'm saying, but, but, but he gets away with it because people don't attack either. Yeah, even at the highest level. Yeah. With coming back to uh, Fetter, I think people should listen to Fetter. <laughs> As I mentioned, ACB was was great. In the, in, the, in the player's box, or the, the excuse me, the the television box, the booth. Um, application, information, applied information. How does it work? You think of someone like Connors you know, in the wintertime, East St. Louis, hit against the backboard, not a lot of indoor court time, not a lot of money. Father was a toll bridge operator. Mother taught tennis. Grandmother taught tennis. And even up to when he had operations on both hips, he was hitting the backboard every day. Right. But 
So when you hit against a wall, it can be the worst way to practice, but also be the best. Once you have great mechanics, you're moving the, the, the racket, grip, swing body efficiently. It's like the ball goes to the net and boom, it's back. Goes to the net, boom, it's back. Yeah. And you hit so many more balls against the backboard. Right. Now, Agassi, you know, the story where his father didn't even see the inside of the house, man on yeah. a mission, went from Chicago, Las Vegas, has a tennis court in the backyard. Yeah. Our theory on that is Agassi became so efficient when the dad was sending him 2,500 balls a day and he's still in diapers, you know, this when he's really young, is that out of survival and out of fatigue, he learned to counter speed with speed. The ball's going fast, so he's going to hold the racket higher longer. Yeah. You know, the, a loop is when you start with the racket head above the ball and then go below the ball. So there's an yeah. exaggerated loop, a modified loop. But the way Agassi used his legs, you know, as far as how he snapped upward. Yeah. We always say, it, it, go out and throw a medicine ball and just, yeah. what, as you're, you're just, you're, you're rotating, you're elevating. You're right. just, it's like the ball weighs 20 pounds, not two ounces. Yeah. I mean, that Bradenism, it's a lifting game. Yeah, unwind and lift. Yeah. Um, ratio of balls hit, we touched upon that. You know, people hit so many more. Forehands and backhands. Yes. Um, you got to love to hit the backhand. Let's go over Vic Braden's t-shirt for the one-handers. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Yeah. yeah. I made a video today, actually, uh, Monday. What did it say? The 21st. On ATA or the armpit. It's Chris Everett's so. birthday. It's got to be the 20th. 21st. I think we missed it by day. Sorry, Chrissy. <laughs> um yeah, maybe I just saw a picture or something today. But yeah, I put a post up with Roger Federer and went through Air the Armpit, ATA. And it was really a way for Vic to try to keep help people to hit out through the shot and low to high in direction of the court, north and south. Again, just knowing the dimensions of the court from the center mark, 19.6 degrees, as far as variance of the racket face to go corner to corner and from the sideline, 19.1. So... You've got less than 20 degrees to play with there, so you don't want to be pulling horizontal or horizontally when you're about to hit the ball. <laughs> yeah, ATA, um, coming back to throw a Frisbee, that's a, a rotating socket. Pull the gun out of the holster. It's a, it's a rising socket. Instead, of, a door goes 180 degrees, so you want to lift your arm up like the hood of a car. Yeah. And actually, to get people to hit a, a one-handed backhand, it, just get your arm straight, turn sideways, let the racket free fall and lift. Um, it's interesting. It just reminds me of a few, you know, some memories when I try to teach family or friends where you just like, dang it, can you just lift your arm? Look, just go like this. Can you just lift your arm? But people can't just lift their arm. <laughs> I try to complicate it. Arthur Ashe, think about it. Family, never teach your spouse. That comes from Arthur Ashe. With uh, coming back to the ATA or the armpit, the yeah. T-shirts. With um, back in the eighties, I first went to Germany because Vic was hiring coaches. I trained hmm. a bunch of them, and um, at that time, Graf and Becker were number one. There's a boom in Germany, wealthy yeah. country. I mean, you could not get a tennis court. Hmm. So back at the, in those days, in Europe, in Germany, women didn't shave underneath their arms. 
So I can remember teaching him backhand and one hand backhand. Nice lady lifts her arms up and I just go, whoa. Oh, hello. Wow, (laughs) it kind of threw me for a loop there. So what I did when I was teaching the one hand backhand to women in Germany in the 80s, I said, you just grab, take your left hand and grab your right upper arm. Don't move that arm up and you just play all lower arm. (laughs) So you do have to make some adjustments. I think my wife got a kick out of that. My wife is German. And she actually learned a one-handed backhand. She does. She's done pretty well with it. It was funny years ago. Actually, I was traveling with your son Connor, and we came back to Germany, and Connor was with us. And you know, he he talked about the boy. He goes, "Oh, you got a one-handed backhand." He's like, "Do you want to win? <laughs> you want to win?" <laughs> Just I, for you know, coming back to Justine Hennen, she's a player who. Um, love to read about tennis players. So she played with a one-handed backhand the, the whole way through, and you just you lose a lot. Yeah, with uh, when you're young, when you're first starting out. I've had players, you know, they fall off their bike and they're right-hander, and they're lucky that they, you know, sprain their left wrist, and and because of that, they have to play one-handed. T- tennis players should take some serious time to hit one-handed backhand. It's a two-handed player. You know, it was a two-handed player take it upon themselves to. I'm going to play a practice set where all I hit all one-handed slice. I mean, yeah. you, you can play mini tennis where, excuse me, you have to hit top spin on the first and under spin on the second. Uh, yeah. With Connor, um, I sent Connor out to David Anderson's. You know, David Anderson and I spent eight years together. Hmm. And I, you know, known him 35 years. So with that... Now we're talking about Connor, your son. Yeah, so... Jimmy Connor is just... For yeah. our listeners. There is James is Scott Connors, yeah. 1952, September 2nd, 1952. We should have a podcast just about these top players. Um, yeah. I, yeah, we did Joel Trucker. We'll get Joel on here. I, when I was on the phone, I haven't met Joel in person, but I was on the phone with Joel, with with Andy. and uh, Joel is a raging introvert. He doesn't like to talk. Just kidding. He's the opposite. And I said to him... Uh, I said, you know, I know I'd like to you know, wager when we get together. Uh, I know more about Connors than you do. Yeah. It's like, all right, uh, I'll take that bet. And, but with that, um, it's interesting when you talk about pros, if you really study a, a tennis player, a top tennis player in the world, you can know more about their game on the outside. You can know more about their game technically than they do. Yeah. Than they do. Um, I missed you up. Connor. Connor in Dallas. Um, so David's at the big flagship club i mean i don't know how many juniors two three hundred juniors tons yeah. of kids club Corp. and connor was playing one-handed and you know you, you never really know but he he converted to two-handed at that time he had a sweet one-hander so but if someone does play one-handed you got to give it some time you can't give it a weekend you can't give it a week yeah. but if you, you did it for a year in the end it's going to help your two-hander you can always go back it's not like you got you know it's you're committed to always staying with that but not fleet of foot. The Smiths are known to be pretty slow. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it was his choice when somebody gets to be that age. It's like your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he converted back to one-hander. Um, I have in my notes, uh, talking about 1,400. So right? He converted, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah thanks to two-hander. So he went two, one, two. Yeah. Played two, then he went to a one-hander for a while. I've never seen his one-hander. It was great. Well, let me go over so many things. I was going to go another 14-year-old, but let me ask this, add this. Is Sampras and Edberg, 
your players that had two-handed backhands and they switched. If someone is really well taught, high, low, high, the grips, um, inside out, if someone's really well taught, it's much easier to switch. Now, our players, they've already been taught to hit one-handed. Um, I, not too long ago, I recommended a player change to one-handed and he changed back. But my call on that was, does it not going to have the foot speed? And you know, he need the versatility. He needs to go forward. Yeah. But in my notes, uh, it's his name's always got a nice sound to it. it sounds like a song. Shea Two Malampati. So Shea Two is a Canadian. He's a physician now. Yeah. I remember he was number one in Ontario, and I was working with Ryder DeHaro, number one in Florida, and Shea Two ended up in Florida practicing with us, and they practice and. Shea Tu wins, the, the, the guy from the great white north. But Shea Tu used to come to the net, and I remember recommending. Um, he also, like Riley, played in the Big Ten. He, he took an academic route very, very early. But I remember suggesting to Shea Tu and his mother, your choice, but I think you could consider being a one-hander. And they thought about it. Over the weekend, they came back, and they had a family discussion, and I share this story with people all the time is that if they came back and said, we're going to stay with a two hander because we think the return of serve is more and impro- more important than the approach shot. Yeah. Um, but I think a Vlander who won, uh, I'm going to bet 99% I'm right. That it was the French in 82 that he won, but in 88, he won three of the four grand yeah. slams. He never won on grass, but he won the Australian on grass. He never won Wilton. Yeah. Never won Wimbledon, but he did win on grass. But by '88, I, he had a, he had a different game tactically. But he, he added the the one handed backhand where he could go forward. Yeah. Um, I think for me with a one handed two, because just touching upon it. So for me, it comes down to you know personal preference. It's like, hey, if you really enjoy hitting a one handed backhand, hit a one handed backhand. Like my wife, you know, she really liked it. And then we got into brain typing a little bit more where. You know, we're thinking she's a SF, she's gross motor skill. It's like, hey, why don't you try to hit a two-handed? But you can you can do both, and and she's liking that now. She's learning it, and I think she if she is an SF, she's more gross motor dominant, so she's going to be able to maybe have more success with that. So it comes into personal preference, and then you know personality, brain typing. I think those things that are you know, your motor skills come into it. And we want to share this on the podcast because there will be a quiz, there will be a test that women in Germany now do shave underneath their arms. Um, <laughs> yes, Percy, Ro- Percy Roseberg, Percy Rosberg, that's an American with a Swedish name, famous coach, famous players. He worked with Borg and he worked with Edberg and he changed Edberg to a one-handed backhand and he didn't change Borg. Now Borg came to the net. He'll say, oh, he's just a baseliner. All you got to do is watch uh, Wimbledon highlights and, Borg played all over the court. He's a gross motor skill. Just saying. Borg, yeah. ISFP. Yeah. With uh, Bjorn Borg. Wow. Should have a podcast on Bjorn. June yeah. 6, 1958. Let's do it. 1956. Let's do it. Do my research here. But um, I think that's very interesting is that a net rusher. So Edberg. Um, Fetter was asked when he was being coached by Edberg, why don't you come to the net like Stefan? And he said, if I could volley like him, I would. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
with Borg on the backhand side, he had a collapsed wrist. Um, he had a, a, a called a coupling action where he would, you, know, you stop the right side and snap the left side. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah. The collapsed wrist going down. I mean, really, I mean, this can start to get kind of crazy technical, but you know, the left arm being forearm being kind of supinated and then, you know, kind of a rolling snapping motion forward and up, um, at the very end. And, and you do see that. I mean, obviously people at the pro level, like I said, over the last few weeks that it's so dynamic and everybody's improvising and within a range of correctness, but there's so many things they're having to do in an improv situation that players will, will use the wrist like that, drop the ragged head below the wrist and, and snap it up a little bit. But just fundamentally, when you go down to the ABCs of the bowl and the ice cream, you don't want to be teaching people just to use their wrist. Well, for sure. I think when it, it's well put, when it comes down to, Borg, you know, more slapping versus stroking. It's ballistic versus tracking. Yeah. Um, I think of the great Eddie Dibbs. Uh, I used to love to watch Eddie Dibbs. Here at Digress, Eddie Dibbs, funny, funny guy. Uh, Jimmy Connors, we first started uh, commentating on TV, mm-hmm. didn't want to interview anybody. They say, well, we'd like to have you go interview this guy. He goes, yeah. I don't like that guy. I interview this guy. I don't like that guy. When you interview this person, I don't like that person. And they finally said to him, who would you like to interview? And he said, Eddie Dibbs. And Eddie Dibbs had been retired for 25 years. <laughs> With um, uh, a couple more thoughts on one-handers, the similarities. I one time put a video clip together of Don Budge, Rod Laver, Pete Sampras, and Roger Federer. Hmm. You just think of the silhouette. I mean, the, the image, they look so much the same. Yeah. So much the same. and. You know, some people would, you know, I've heard people say about Pancho Seguro's two-hand forehand, but people, some people say that Budge's backhand was the true sledgehammer, yeah. kind of like Del Potro's forehand. Yeah. But, um, you know, when it comes down from one era to the next, yeah, definitely the speed of the game has changed. Equipment's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that players from years ago, you know, players are definitely stronger today, but I think years ago they were tougher. Yeah where they always played, always were playing three events at the Grand Slams. And mm-hmm. um, Darren Cahill, who has an interesting background as a player, he was taught by Peter Smith. They have Peter Smith in America, who's now at yeah, Jack Kramer, where, where Vic was for, for many years. Yeah. And he coached championship teams at USC. There's, so there's Peter Smith, America. There's Peter Smith, Australia. Darren was taught by Peter Smith. <laughs> and um, with that, um, he, t- he took on a, a young Leighton Hewitt who had the character as a reset swing on the backhand side. Yeah, so does his son now, too. I tried to point so that son, out. And so does his, his understudy. Um, mm-hmm. What is his name? Um Spent time growing up in Spain and Australia. Yeah. You don't have it? I have it. You have it. We'll we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah, it's there. It's Demenauer. Demenauer. Demenauer, yeah. Mispronounced in Perez. Am I saying that right? I don't know. But um, for years, I know the Tennis Channel just bought the uh, Big Brain Library. So I spent some years uh, trying to raise money to buy the Vic Braden Library, which yep. is about the size of a four-car garage, all film. Yep. 
And Julian Krinsky, who knows tennis, he's been in tennis his whole life. He played some grand slams. He's um, an entrepreneur. He's done many things, but owns tennis clubs, large tennis camp. So he connected connected me with Dennis Alter. Dennis said he would have done it if he was younger. As he did really, really well financially. He, he would purchase the, the Braden Library. But he had hired Darren Kale to just come in and coach him personally. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I got this second hand because I was there afterwards and said that Kale said, um, would never want anyone to be taught one-handed in today's game, play two-handed. Didn't you say Bobby Riggs? You read where Bobby Riggs had said Yeah, I read where Bobby Riggs had told Jack Kramer if he could do it all over again, he would learn to hit two-handed and also learn to teach two-handed, or he would teach the two-handed backhand. For me, I tell kids just to go for it. We have a young uh, girl here. Um, she's a Bulgarian kid, and, and she's hitting one-handed, and I said, you just got to love it. Yeah. If you put the time in, uh, and again, all you got to do is look at like at Justine Hennon, being she's out there with uh, against Venus and Serena with a one hander. Yeah, beautiful player. People just loved her backhand. Yeah. So you just got to go for it, and it comes down to like Jimmy Everett, Chris Everett's father. Whoever hits the most balls will win. Yeah. I mean, you got to be a practice maniac. And I remember if you, whether you could play two or one, you just got to hit a billion balls. Yeah, I remember a couple few players I grew up with in Southern California playing against junior tennis couple of Mike and Bob Bryan they were a little bit younger than I was but they played up they they switched you know right around gosh I don't know 12 13 14 and they would hit underspin backhands that's what I remember for the majority of the time they were going yeah doing doubles and another kid Kevin Kim who I played a couple times he switched as well I think right around 14s maybe 16s but you know he was number one in the nation I think he may have cracked the top hundred for a little while, but I just remember um, those players like, oh wow, they're you know they're switching because they were already ranked really high. But I think they had an idea of how they wanted to play, you know, going forward. And and uh, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because when kids do switch, they look like they invented the slice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could try to hit a top spin backhand maybe this month. Just <laughs> yeah. just try one. Yeah. The. Uh, yeah. Yep. I do think people use it as an excuse. When they make the change, they don't give it enough time, and then they're, they're losing matches because now they're playing one-handed. Uh, here's a great Bradenism. People think they have a great forehand because they're comparing it to their <laughs> own backhand yeah, exactly. or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're, they're, yeah, my forehand's really good. That's because your backhand's really crummy or, or vice versa. Yeah. It's it's not really a global point of view when they think about their own strokes. Uh, here's a thought. Kids copying pros, yes and no. If people were to copy Roger Federer, there'd be a lot more one-handers. Yeah. No one I think, no one in tennis, I don't think anyone's even been close, Fed fans. Fed fans, that guy. Yeah. I mean. He's got a few. He's got a few fans. Of course, he's done everything right with... Um, tell you a story. I was in Switzerland and um, American family, they have a son who's uh, playing at Harvard and actually his younger brother. I met these two guys through David Squire and um, Henry von Schnellenberger. 
that's like a quiz. Did I say that right? That's pretty good. So I'm introduced to a woman who's a huge Roger Federer fan. And she gets up and watches every match. And this is in Zurich. And somebody buys the house next to her. And they level that house and you're going to build a new one. Yeah. So she's a huge Roger Federer fan. And then what happens is <laughs> the people build the house and Roger moves in. So now she, now she knows Roger Federer. That's like the secret, you know, she manifested that. But coming back to copying pros, I, I say this all the time was, so people, if, if they really love the Fed, you see some more one-handers, but it's, it's the winning. People want to, the, the player wants to win in the yeah. 10 and unders. Yeah. The coach wants the player to win in the 10 and unders. And then the parent, yeah. and it's like it's skills, 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 winning. It's like, okay, we'll keep score. It yeah. doesn't really, you, you've got to develop skills. Yep. The same thing with Neratulova, nine Wimbledons. I say you can't name nine. Can a tennis group name nine players who hit a one-handed backhand approach? Sampras's last match comes in at 104 times. Didn't influence. Um, so I do think that yeah. people will go two-handed because the same reason that they're going to go with a Western grip on the forehand is that when they're really small, yeah, it's the, we call it the little kid grip. Is that the racket face is going to be vertical? And the transition balls are very good in theory. While well, the ball won't bounce so high, and people have eastern grips, but you know, try again, Charlie. Yeah, his kids are still they're out there whacking those orange balls around with the western grip because when a little kid, excuse me, the little kid picks the racket up, they one they just pick it up off the ground. They're going to have a semi, mm-hmm. but the more they go underneath, it's easier for them to, to hold the racket. Yeah, I think it's another thing for starting kids off developmentally and just getting. Eastern backhand grip with the right side of one is that if they do want it, you know, help helping close the racket base number one, stronger position for the wrist. But if they do want it, then a little bit later on, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, switch to one handed backhand, that transition is much easier. Say that again. As far as the grip goes. So developmentally, starting a kid where their right hand grip, if they're right handed, is on the right side of one. Other than helping them close the racket phase and it's a staple position for the wrist, if they're a two-handed player and they want to switch later on to a one-handed, it makes that transition much easier. Yeah, I just wanted to have you say that so people hear that um, key development. You know, there has to be a long-term vision, you know, fact-based instruction, long-term development. Yeah. Did I say that right? Fact-based, fact-based instruction for, for long-term, long-term development. development. Yep. Sharapova. Nick Balateri, so her father, Yuri, and I've watched Yuri from the sidelines, and he's intense, and I think parents should hear this. He's screaming at her, and Maria Sharapova said, I figured out a long time ago, he's for me, not against me. But he came up with the idea, and she's pretty much on her way as a really good player in the juniors. Um there was no thought about being a junior. Was, she was on her way to being a pro. Yeah. That um, they were over at, I think it's Manatee Junior College where it's close to Balateri's and they're, they're switching. They're going from right-handed to left-handed. And, and Nick, Nick Balateri's comment was, you can be great with either hand. You can be a great lefty, you can be a great righty. Because she had the intensity. Mm-hmm. He said, but you just got to do one. It's just got to do one. So it's like anything. Yeah. If you're going to commit to being an all-court player, it's going to take more time. Yeah. It's going to take go more time. Yeah, Billie Jean King one time I had a company named that um, with um, 
Backhands, you got to have a backhand. Um, the two versus one, um, I would recommend to start with two. When it comes down to, it is a choice. I do think that the one-handed backhand aesthetically is the most appe- appealing yeah. shot. It's like, wow, that's oh, beautiful. For sure, yeah. Um, and other people are doing it. So if other people are doing it, you can do it, but you got to make up your mind. Yeah. With, um, I think also, are you going to be um, a rabbit? Or are you going to be a retriever, a counterattacker? You know, your game style, identify what type of game you're going to have. And you can be an attacking player with a two handed backhand. Um, you, you can stay with a two handed backhand volley. You know, I mean, Connor's. Was he 68 this year? So that means he's a dinosaur. But um, all you got to do is look at film. The ball doesn't know whether it's being hit by a one-hander or two-hander. Exactly. And, I mean, most kids, they just don't learn to drive a volley. And I know we, we, we've talked about volleys with, with ground strokes. Um, again, the moment of truth is where is the racket at the impact point? But not only the racket is the path of the racket was there an upward angle mm-hmm. also the body positions um so that's why it's very very important to use film and now it's amazing you know I, I, all these kids i think the parents should just get flip phones and all they can do is <laughs> call and text home you know text their text their parents but so every every kid's got a camera right in their pocket and we, you know we break groups into three so you toss yeah. you hit you film and then go look at it um, I do think that, you know, the ball's hit as a plus, a minus IP from Jacobson, you know, dummy it down. Okay, how can we make this make sense? We as we tell people, okay, the ball's hit three ways, uh, slice, flat, top spin. So, uh, but to get the, to get the feedback, it's plus is strong, minus is weak. IPs in play are neutral. And so many kids are hitting two in backhands all day long. You know, some kids are practicing twice a day with mm-hmm. the advent of homeschooling and they're all day long hitting two in a backhands with their legs crossed over. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're not, they're only going to hit IPs. They're, they're just going to hit a neutral ball Same all play. day long. Yeah. Uh, most two handed backhands are much simpler than forehands. You know, both hands are on the racket oh, together no and it's just, it's a compact strand, stroke. Yeah, and actually, when you chart people, generally their backhand's better than their forehand. But why they like yeah. their forehand? We're talking grassroots level junior tennis. Is yeah. why they like their forehand is they hit a television screamer. They, you know, they they hit some winners. Yeah, they hit some losers too. I was watching a clip of Coco Golf practicing the other day, and some of them was at the net, so the ball's coming back faster. You know, the interval. But I was just thinking. Why doesn't she just have her forehand take a lesson from her backhand? You know, so much more compact, rackets on edge, because a forehand, she's got extra moving parts, a little bit of deviation, which you see on a lot of people, but, you know, the swing's going way back behind her body. She's having to back up, hit off of her back foot a lot. Well, well she's, a, really she's, a great, she's a great athlete. Matt Clora, we had on the podcast, he watches lots of tennis, said I think Coco Goff may be the second best competitor on the tennis planet would be Nadal being one. 
the follow through is the end product of the swing. Um, I think, as you said, you know, it used to be years ago, it'd be discussion. Should you switch grips on volley? Should you have a loop? Should you go straight back? Yeah. And now the arguments in tennis, they don't really get past the forehand. No. But if there's not as much confusion on the backhand. So when players hit a forehand one-handed, they hit, you can't really see the racket track out to the target with the human eye. And then you see them recover. Um, they mistake the recovery as the follow through. But we're always telling people, look at where the racket is facing. And most two-handers, say they're right-handed, it's a left-handed forehand, they go way, way up, way, way up. And the racket just slightly points to the left. Right. Now on the forehand for a long time, not as much, because the yeah. forehand you go about 70 degrees, the shoulder pinches. Yeah. With the backhand, you can just keep going. With the one-handed backhand, go way, way up. Yeah. And, and even on the two-handed backhand, you can lift more. But you see the racket just pulls. I mean, the finish is horizontal and they're, they're not lifting as much. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. I mean, with the forehand side, the 3d studies that I did with Vic, you know, a Federer forehand was about four feet, four inches where the, you know, the racket, the length of the swing going forward. And then the backhand side was longer because there, there isn't that pinch right? the shoulders closer to the net. So it was actually 61 inches or, um, you know, I think one thing to mention five, five feet, one inch, you know, we talked about well-being and body balance is posture. You know, center of gravity, you know, your your upper body, it's like a soldier, and you're going to get low from your lower body. Yeah. And, you know, and tennis is both an upper body sport, lower body sport. So I think it's something we've touched upon is that with a two-hander, don't take the shortcut and let the racket go below the wrist. Yeah. Get there, sit in the chair. Um it's deceiving, but you, the racket does look like it's below the wrist, but it, it's, you're not changing the wrist position. It's not like, I think the better word is collapse. Like don't, yeah, don't you know, just, just, you know, for injury prevention too. Yeah. You know, the forces involved that may happen, but you don't, yeah. Well, the injury prevention, if you don't collapse your wrist to get the racket low and you go down with your, your legs, I mean, you're going to hit the ball with your larger body parts. Exactly. Um, Vic Braden worked with uh, Vilas' coach in Argentina when he was a young kid. Actually, uh, the connection from that is uh, Vilas played the Orange Bowl with Jeff Austin. Uh, Jeff was good enough to play at UCLA. He was a really good tennis player. Uh, but Vic developed a, a, a contraption, a holster, where you could. he just showed how you could yeah. hit the ball with topspin with your legs. Yeah. Because you, you're going to come up. Because it's the legs have to go low to high. So the racket and body are coming up together. Right. And it's so important when you use it in film, you're up on both toes, the myth, your eyes stay down, head and eyes are down, but everything goes up. Yeah. But you better, you're best to be up right before the hit, just time it because many times people lift after the hit and that energy yeah. doesn't transfer the shot. And it can be measured, the MPH, the speed of the shot and the RPM, the, the spin of the shot. Yep. Yeah, that phrase from Vic, lifting game. With uh, sure. when people are drilling, um, you know, typically, you know, kids will get in a clinic and adults do, and they're on the baseline and they're, they're right handed, they're hitting forehands, and they move to the right. And you, you're better off actually doing the drill where you move the other way where they get further away from the ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a drill in this country that's very popular because there's been an, a, a big influence from the Spanish system is the Spanish X. Yeah. But the Spanish sex, so you toss the ball short to the forehand. They come back to home plate or, or home base. 
And you toss back, they move diagonally back. Mm-hmm. And they talk about hit, being able to hit defensively, even if you're off your back foot. Yeah. Then you go the other way, ball tossed in for a backhand, tossed back for a backhand, but then they reverse it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to get a player to swing inside out, so two righties are playing doubles. Uh, the do score, we've talked about that. You're going to take more returns. The point starts there, and the, the righties with an inefficient grip on the forehand volley, a horizontal swing on the forehand ground. So things are balls are more balls are going to the deuce court. But for two right-handed players to play inside out returns the, from the deuce court, getting the ball away from the net person, swinging away from your body, mm-hmm. the two-hander shoulder housing the hit thing, play the ball a little bit later. Yeah, but it's pretty tough for the one-handed backhand to play that inside out backhand return from the from the deuce side. Agassi. Uh, when he came on the scene, he didn't even play a volley. Everything he was swinging radically at everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, drill players by feeding balls to them in the air. If so, you just feed a ball in the air, and then now it's something that's definitely part of the game. But it, way back when, that was something like, "Ooh, that's not right." There's an unwritten rule that's taboo. You can't hit a swinging volley. <laughs> yeah. I'm going back to the '70s and '80s. I'm with that, but. Feed balls where kids have to take the ball out of the air, and then you'll find out if they have good strokes. Like on the forehand yeah. side, um, people don't have the problem on the two-handed backhand as much opening up. But t- typically on the forehand, the left hand is the culprit. The left hand is just flying open. Yeah. Um, Dion Krupe, I think I've mentioned that in the podcast, is that a, a pet peeve of his is when people play who wants their warm-up to be zipped up. If a kid has his warm up, it's not zipped up, and the jacket goes flying when the when the left shoulder goes, the <laughs> the, the jacket it looks like a cape, and uh, but no, it's uh, I think it's true for so many players. You said it is that their forehand can take a lesson from the backhand yeah. because they have a longer hitting zone. Have a, have the racket goes out to the target. Yeah, you know, fewer moving parts. We always say efficiency. You want the least amount of moving parts and the least amount of muscular effort. And you definitely see it. There's more moving parts on a lot of forehands, even though it may be more their their weapon, but it definitely breaks down more. I did a drill today, four players on a court, you know, skilled players. Um, when someone graduates from high school, they say commencement. Now, I'm the youngest of six. I thought commencement meant the end. Mm-hmm. Because the way people th- talk about high school, the way high school students talk about high school, it's like a prison term. Mm. One more year and I'm out. I'm done. So it's like commencement. No, they graduate from high school to begin. Well, you know, you're working with some tennis players that are 13, 14 years old. They're much closer to the beginning than they are the end. So we just have them stopping the ball, tap feeding, player on one side, and they're just yelling out three, two, one. And if they yell at three, you have to let the ball bounce three times. Yeah. If they yell at two, you got to let the ball bounce twice, once. So you have to take all these little adjustment steps. But if you say three, now the third bounce is so low. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, get low, get low and lift. Yeah. And so it's a great drill for teaching footwork, adjustment steps. Yeah. It's a great drill to say, hey, you've got to use your body. You've got to lift. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I love, you could say a few things about the film you have from Indian Wells where you're at ground level. Yeah. And, I mean, the player, the top players are hitting so much higher over the net you'd think. Yeah. But we're watching tennis on TV at home. TVs today are a little bit larger than before, but they're like the size of two tennis rackets. And the b- player's about the size of your smallest finger. The ball's about the size of your fingernail. 
it's not three dimensional, it's two dimensional screen and not 3d and the, the camera shooting from above above. And it looks like the players are hitting lasers. Yeah. And they're not getting the net clearance. Yeah. I was trying to help Spencer Johnson just the other day. Joey sent me some films forehand. He's basically hitting these little net skimming bullets, you know? So I'm going, Hey, well, let me send you some film because, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do a project with Vic there on stadium court for 10 years where we had three fixed cameras, but then, I could film from different spots. And one of the spots was these little cubby holes down below, which some of you listeners may have seen like at the U S open you're down right below the, the level there on the court and could film and you just see where sometimes it's, you know, nine feet over the net, um, pretty far off the ground. And, and then you see where they're more aggressive. It's like, okay, two to three feet. But then from defensive positions, you just really see them lift the ball. It's a great, great angle to see. And it's fun as well. I know people have asked for that, for us to put that up online, but as far as um, all the copyright stuff, we just got to make sure that things are okay there. One thing thing on the forehand, you mentioned palm guidance on the forehand, knuckle guidance on the backhand, the confusion on the backhand. On the forehand side, people are telling you, when you get right before the impact point, think you're turning a doorknob. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work for me. Right at the impact point, now your racket becomes a windshield wiper. That doesn't work for me. But when people are hitting a backhand, they don't they don't hear that type of nonsense. Where yeah, exactly. You know, people aren't being told on a two handed backhand. You know, turn the doorknob. You know, the windshield wiper, lag, snap. Oh, exactly. With <laughs> um, what did you say? Um, how many how many choices for modern four and how many choices for modern backhand? No, I just joke around where it's. You know, we say most conversations in tennis, tennis technique especially, don't get past the forehand. And a lot of it's really the forehand follow-through, which the points you were just talking about with turn the doorknob and come over the ball and those kind of things. But, yeah, if you if you were to Google modern tennis forehand, you're going to get an endless amount of hits. And if you do the same thing for the backhand, you're not going to get nearly as many. And then there's those websites, the Internet gurus, where – we have the seven secrets. Here are three. Yeah. The other four, if you give us your credit card by midnight tonight. It's just $47. $47. Yeah. No, um, it's an interesting point. <laughs> With, <laughs> With the forehand and the backhand, it's the physics are the same. The ball doesn't know, as you said. You know, the differences, again, with the one-handed, two-handed, you got to play it further out in front. Upper body's going to stop, stay sideways a little more on the one-handed backhand. But there's the myths will continue. So hopefully we're yeah, one thing we make an effort. To, one thing we tell players we make film all the time is uh, binocular vision. Mm. It'd be the forehand side or the backhand side. But players, and I, I've watched a lot of cricket. I don't understand the game at all. But when it comes down to um, baseball player, golfer, how they turn, mm. They turn so much, they're looking out of both eyes, but it looks like they're just looking out of the corner of one eye. Mm-hmm. You have to turn more. You have to coil. And, you know, it's a time-elapse movie. The younger players don't do that. With myelin, the substance the brain produces through repetition, speed, and smoothness of movement, I feel like I can guess in 1,000-hour increments how, how okay this kid's put it in a thousand say it's a thousand hours per year this kid's played at least three years of tennis yeah 
And the, you know, the, the more one practices, the more they'll be able to turn. Yeah. I think another thing uh, to mention with backhands or any stroke in tennis, if you try to hit the ball hard, you won't hit the ball right. If you try to hit the ball right, you'll be able to hit the ball hard. Yeah. It's just effortless effort. If the racket's correct, where it's on edge, just like on the forehand side, and then from the top of the swing, the racket starts to close, then you can just use gravity to let the racket free fall. Yeah. I think that's very, very important because the top players look like it's a dream. There's just no effort. Yeah. And um, no, if you, you know, can use a kinetic chain, I think that's where a lot of adults go, man, that kid's only 10. How is he hitting the ball so hard? It's just... Uh, here's a Bradenism for you. Using the body efficiently. Someone has an open racket face either side, but I know we're talking about backhand. So the racket face is open on the backhand. Backhand's down the line. So the racket face is open, and Vic, you say, kid's going to be dead in the water. And that comes from the Marines, Normandy, the PT boats, storming in the beaches, and they just onto the beach, into gunfire. Yeah. They're going to be dead in the water. Um, because once that racket face is open... They've got to recruit the muscles to get the racket face vertical. Yeah. And um, it's so, so important. You know, you, we use many expressions when we talk to each other. And one is it's like riding a bike. Once you learn to ride a bike, you know how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. You know, the brain brings you back to where you left off. So um, I, I grew up on skates and I'd been, you know, away from hockey for a long time. So my little kids, I just took them skating mm -hmm. you know put a helmet on elbow pads knee pads it's a great way to uh learn some athletic skills mm -hmm. and it's like whoa will i be able to skate <laughs> and, and it's just it's just brain memory so that's where go slow in learning how to play this game especially the young kids get get your kicks get your juice from playing competitive sports have your kids play lots of sports but take your time and learning how to hit the ball well I think we have it backwards in the U.S. and I know the USTA, the government body tends to do a lot of great things, but it's not, it's not just play to learn. That's the theme they have. It's learn to play. Yeah. You know, Welby Van Horn, you know, learn tennis, you'll never forget. There's no substitute for a good beginning. Now we all know that it's not so much fun to learn fundamentals, but uh, we lose so many people to tennis because of yeah. the degree of, difficulty is the learning curve is much steeper. Yeah. That's just where the art, you know, the art and the personality of the coach has to come out. You make learning the fundamentals fun targets and score or tic tacs. But how do you do that? You're a teacher. You have no personality. You yeah. can't make it fun. I, have, I you, struggle. Have, have you ever got anybody to laugh itself? Every once in a while. You want to wrap it up on backhands? I think well, your wife I should, say, I think your wife should give you a backhand right across the head. Fitzel. She does often. <laughs> The, um, yeah, the ready position, push your hands away from your body, 45 degree angle, look just over the tip of the racket. If you're right-handed, you left hand on the throw to the racket. If you're going one-handed backhand, turn, straighten your arms, switch your grip, turn more than sideways, step out, get down below the ball. That's one of the number one errors in the game. People don't get below the ball. So got to get the racket face down at least about 30 degrees closed and below the ball, ideally hitting around waist height. You know, you're going to get a long hitting zone, get an inside-out swing, vertical racket or close to it at contact, keep your knuckles going out, tracking towards the target, ATA, make a little archway you could walk under, hand-to-hand -hand forms a line, that'd be one-hander, two-handed checkpoints, very similar, 
left-handed forehand. So ready position, unit turn, rack it up high, use gravity, have options, right, in a relationship of strokes and spins. You'd say that you, know, you use a left palm then, pat the dog, you know, close the racket face inside out. Contact isn't going to be as far in front as the, as the one-handed backhand. Then you want to, just like a forehand, reach out with your left palm if you're using an eastern forehand grip. As far as you can, get the upper arm, your left arm coming up under the chin if you're right-handed. Relax the swing from the elbows. The buzzwords and the phrases. Basic checkpoints. With um, simple. I like dribble basketball behind you, sensory perception, racket yeah. face closed. Yeah. But pet the dog. Yeah. What type of dog? I like how you say it because I say, I say chihuahua, but you say chihuahua, I think. Say it. Chihuahua. Yeah. How do you say it? I say chihuahua. Maybe that's wrong, but. With, uh, I tell a lot of people though, you're, they're not petting the chihuahua. They're petting the Great Dane. Yeah. They just, it's amazing. Vic Braden. I'll say pet an ant. You know, just um, exaggerate. Most people get two inches below the ball. You'll see in his book, it says for sufficient topspin to get 12 inches below the ball. But I'm saying uh, get, try to get 20. Yeah. Try to get 20 inches below the ball, not two inches below the ball. Which really, I did a 3D project of Nadal, and that's about what he got. He's getting and below he, the ball. He gets a little more spin than the average bear. <laughs> yep. But that's what I got, you know, keep it, keep it simple. And hey, we've talked about the backhand for a while. We've got a few more strokes still to go through. Underspin backhand, the overhead, I believe we need to cover, but we got the holidays coming up here in a few days, Christmas, Hanukkah. Uh, that's one thing you have to tell juniors. The backhand is not on the shelf. You can't buy it. Any, any tennis skill. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I would say. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah, one last thing I would say with the backhand, I think a lot of it too, like my wife, you know, she's fairly new to the game, but fear factor, like she's afraid to look bad. And I think for a lot of people, you know, they've hit so many forehands and maybe their backhand's crummy. They just don't take the time. It's like, hey, it's all right. You know, you, you can look crummy, but learn to hit a backhand and it's okay. To make I, mistakes and, you know, that fear factor, I think, exists with, with the backhand. Like people, oh, you know. Standing next to you, she just, she looks great, period. But what a bad decision. <laughs> just for life. Marriage. Or eternity. Right. Or eternity. Well, with that, that too. With Q&A, did you cover a few question answers? You got that out of the way? Yeah, we had we had some, a few questions. But I think we covered everything that, you know, we went through quite a bit, so... I think we've got it pretty well covered. All right. I hope it was helpful. Backhands. Backhands down the line. Yeah. Until next week, we're signing off. But again, check out. We've got free courses online. GreatBaseTennis.com. Follow us on Instagram at GreatBaseTennis. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And coming, starting the new year, next few weeks here, we're going to be doing more on YouTube, some different things, getting more courses for you guys. Appreciate the support. Anything you can do to... Help spread the word. We appreciate it. And the word is, um, it's not the Steve Smith, Andy Fitzell stuff. He's our name in third person. We're basically sharing a, a lot of information, ideas, and insights that come from really a, a lifelong study of tennis. System and, of systems. And uh, 
it makes sense. But in the end, someone says ready play. Yeah, the umpire says ready play. The proof's in the pudding. Yep. I think we're one of the only uh, people online that are you know showing pre post films that show little kids uh, hitting the ball. Well, what you, what you need to do is stay the course. I, sh- I should say start the course and stay the course. Yeah. It's not like well we worked on basics and now we got to move on. Yeah. Um, it's just like a musician playing the same song. They get better and better at it. But the, the, the song doesn't change. So the back end, um, and I'll, I'll end by saying this with John Wooden, the fundamental doesn't change. The speed at which you have to execute the fundamental changes. Exactly. So you want to be fundamentally sound. And um, again, the name, we talked about the great bass. Who can argue with having a great bass? Fitzell, thank you very much. Yes, sir. All Smith. listeners, thank you. Smith, you're an original. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.